You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday afternoon, so it's time to speak to Joanne Bainham, who's a wealth manager at Sterling Private Wealth in Cape Town. I want to, before we get on to, to products and wealth management issues, which are terribly important at the moment, and I'll tell you why later on, let's have a look at the markets because they're at elevated levels, Joanne. I personally think it's got a lot to do with the fact that it is August in the Northern Hemisphere and people are able to push the markets around a little bit. But let's not talk about that because it's a boring story. Markets keep on going to new highs every, every couple of days. Let's talk about unemployment inside. Africa. There were horrific numbers that came out this week. Um, absolutely horrific. And I actually tweeted today saying this is the scariest graph you'll ever see about South Africa. And what it talked about was the unemployment of the youth. And I think the number that came out yesterday was about 74 to 75%. Okay, so they define the youth just for what it's worth between mm. 15 to 24 years of age. Mm. So one could probably take some of those numbers off it because I presumably 15-year-olds to 18-year-olds are still at school. But regardless, it is one of the highest numbers in the world, and our overall unemployment number is the highest in the world. So we have an absolute crisis in South Africa. There's no other way to describe it. Um, and I think I have said this on your show many a time. I think every single time Cyril stands up and talks to this country at the moment, he should be talking about the crisis that is unemployment, because, because you cannot have a society continue like this. You can't. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, Joanne, in my lifetime, and maybe even in your lifetime, you're slightly younger than me, I'm never going to see it improve. This is, this is what I dread, and I say, it, I say it over and over again, but I will keep uh, at the risk of repeating myself. I will continue to repeat myself. The fact is that there are people being born now that will never have a job in South Africa, and there are people that don't have jobs now that will never have a job as well. And it's, it's terrifying. Can you imagine waking up every day and knowing that you're going to get a small benefit from the government while they can afford it, but you're never going to be able to go to work and you know, earn an honest living and um, meet with your colleagues? It's, it's a soulless no, it's, existence. No, it's, it's a tragedy. And, but if you say there's no hope, I, I think there is hope. Um, just like a country like Switzerland, for example, and this can be sound a bizarre thing to say, yeah. but over 70% of people who work in Switzerland don't have employment through a degree. They have it through a technicon or through other learnings. And I think South Africans have got to move away from this idea that a degree is the way to get a job. We're talking about someone who has got through the schooling system because the schooling system is also a problem, right? But let's pretend they've got through the schooling system. This idea that we try and educate everyone through degrees in South Africa is utterly ridiculous. And if a country like Switzerland can recognize that you can go to technicons and do other employment ways, I, I think it's a far better way to try and get employment up. So that's the one thing we can do to improve. We can stop this kind of fascination with degrees in this country. That's the first thing. Secondly, we are seeing bumper profits, absolute bumper profits from commodity companies in South Africa. Take that income and start creating some jobs with it. You know, the government can do better. If, if they literally just stop stealing from us, they can do better. You know, I mean, and I don't mean that to be rude. It's, it's the truth. You know, they're either incompetent or they steal. And this is what we're now currently dealing with in South Africa. We need proper independent bodies against government to say enough is enough. So you're right. Maybe I'm being naive. It's never going to change. The ANC will remain in power forever and continue the way they're going. But, but there is still hope. And I think there are a lot of good things happening. There are people that are going to prison eventually. You know, people are being prosecuted for doing things wrong. Uh, and so, yeah, I have hope. And the other thing is the COVID vaccine program in South Africa is rolling out quite quickly, actually, quicker than a lot, I think a lot of us thought. And if we can get our country open again to tourists, that will create a huge number of jobs. 
So yes, there, there's hope. Get us away from degrees. Let us get towards technical know-how. We have bumper profits from commodities. The government needs to spend it wisely. And I think that's the problem is people have lost trust the government can spend it wisely. It's been 27 years, Joanne. And there's been bumper profits and there's been there's been tough times with uh, commodity companies doing badly and then doing very well, retailers doing well, bankers doing well, banks rather doing well. And it, it goes up and down. There's always money there if you use it wisely. I just don't think that 34% unemployment can be rectified by a, a short-term windfall in commodity companies' taxes. I think it's a naive concept. No, no, I'm, I'm not saying that's the, the catch-all. I'm saying there are policies the government can put into place to make things better. So improve the renewable energies program. Get us to have a point where we can have electricity that's better priced. Apart from anything else, we saw Hendrik Fillion this week. Sorry, not Hendrik. What's the guy from? I've gone blank. Pete Fillion. No, 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 stop. <laughs> can you, can no, you of course I'll let it this out. Wesley, Wesley <laughs> well, I hope you're listening. Uh, it's Hendrick Latoya, right, from 91. Oh, yes, 91, Hendrick Latoya. Okay, so start yeah. again. Can three, two, one. Yeah. Yeah, okay, three, two, one, okay, off you go. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, as Hendrick Latoya this week said, if we don't sort out our energy problem in South Africa through coal and, you know, polluting the environment, we're going to have a massive problem. The rest of the world isn't going to deal with us. So let's get renewable energy in place because we know it's the right thing to do. We also want countries around the world to actually deal with us and not punitively put interest rates higher to deal with us. So I think we can do the right thing through renewables. Get tourism up and running. There are lots of things this government can do to improve this country. We still have a lot of educated people here. Encourage people to stay. Don't get every single person who's educated in this country want to leave the country. Well, this and is very interesting. It's the colour line now. It's not just white people that are leaving. It's black people are leaving. Indian people are leaving. Encourage young people to stay here. Make it worth their while. You know, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of things going for us in this country, but you know, don't tax us to the hilt. Don't bring in the stupid. I mean, I don't know if you've seen this 12% increased on, you know, retirement savings story. Do yes. not bring that through because that will cause even more people to leave. You know, they were interviewing, I don't know if you know, Cy Jacobs for 361. They were interviewing him this morning yes. on, on BCI conference. And they asked him the question of what do you think about this new retirement plan of 12% of people's income? And he said, listen, people will either live with it or leave. And I think the reality is when that comes through, people are going to say enough is enough. We can't pay the highest tax rates in the world practically. And then on top of that, also pay another 12% towards the retirement fund, which we can't even get a tax deduction for. So, yeah, I, I think there's lots of things they can do right, just not being doing stupid things. And that's one of the stupidest ones I've come, they've come across for a while. It's very interesting that you say encourage people to stay. It's like saying, I mean, this is an extreme example. It's like saying to somebody in, uh, in Lebanon, uh, the currency's just fallen 90% over the last couple of years. There's no electricity apart from for two hours a day, which makes Eskom look like, uh, you know, a, a, a model uh, electricity generator. Uh, there's no fuel. You have to. Uh, people are driving their cars uh, in in these lines, and they have to get out of their car, go home to bed, go to sleep, and then get back there because they know the car's still going to be there because there's no petrol at the petrol station. This isn't it. It's like saying to someone from the Lebanon saying, "Actually, no, you you should really stay and and, and stick it out." It's an extreme example. Afghanistan is an extreme example. Why don't you stay and make the best of it? No, I'm doing a show uh, soon, and maybe you'll be part of it, Joanne, because you're obviously a stayer. Uh, and it's called it's called "Should I Stay or Should I Go Now," which is the title of a song. And it's going to be. I stay, there will be trouble. If I go, there will be double. 
Um, well, it's yeah, a but, uh, it, it, it's not it's, it's not a corporate <laughs> thing. It's a personal thing, and I, there will be disclaimers and everything. But if you want to be part of it, then let me know. But it's going to be a feisty affair. It's going to be at least an hour, uh, hour and a half, maybe, with different people from different backgrounds, of different ages, different races, and um, different outlooks. And I think it's going to be very good. But should I stay or should I go? You know, the, 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 a, a person's adult lifespan isn't long enough to wait for the ANC and other political parties to get it together. It's been 27 years already. I think I'll just, I'll just think I'll just leave. If I was a kid of 25 to 30 years old, I'd say, yes, I really want it to happen and I'll watch it from afar, but I'm going to watch it from afar. You obviously don't agree with me. Well, I choose to stay, but, but when it comes to investment advice, okay, mm. the investment advice we give our clients is, if you're going to stay in South Africa, make sure you have a lot of income offshore. Which is a because lovely segue to, to, to the next thing. What, what products are we, are we looking at? I mean, there's, there's constantly new products, but the theme stays the same. In other words, you think that we should diversify, and diversifying is diversifying overseas to the limit of legality. Okay, well, first of all, I just want to bring up one point that really annoys me when I read in financial literature, and people go on and on about how and to quote somebody, I won't give their name, who said it was lazy to put money offshore. You should have stayed in South Africa and made money through commodities and through Chinese equities that are listed here. Oh, yeah? and, and, to that, and to that, I will counter, when I buy Rand Hedges, I'm buying a very much a play on China. I want a more developed market exposure to my offshore assets. I don't want to only be in emerging markets with my offshore assets. And that's what you get when you buy the JSC. So I, I would say that nobody who wants a diversified portfolio wants all of their assets in South Africa because that's crazy. That's the first point. Um, just back on the offshore side, we just think there's lots of opportunities offshore. You can make money in South Africa, but they're just more offshore, be it biotech, be it electric vehicles, be it other emerging markets. There's just so much other choice. So I just want to say to people who say you're lazy when you put money offshore – uh, please don't say that because there's lots of opportunities offshore. Well, it's such a stupid um, thing to say, lazy. What's lazy about uh, diversifying? Well, I mean, they're saying this whole 30% weighting that you shouldn't have, you should move that around as you go to 25% weighting offshore and then maybe 15% weighting offshore. Uh, I think it's insanity to have 70% in South Africa at any point. Uh, and I think, you know, we are global citizens, most of us. We think in global terms. Why should we have a lot of money in a, in a commodity market and a, and a tech market, a Chinese tech market? Because that's what the JSE is. You know, very simplistically, of course, there are some small cap shares that will make you a fortune at times. But be very careful of having that much money in one country. You know, we know the old adage that South Africa is 1% of global markets then you need to have exposure to other markets. You can't have it all here. But, I mean, I don't want to go on about tirade of this. I'm just saying is when we look at clients, we're advising that they have money offshore for all the reasons you've given, Lindsay, about the problems South Africa faces, for the huge unemployment problems we face, and, and for a government that still doesn't seem to know exactly what it's doing. But I think that just back to the wealth management product argument that you were talking about earlier, this is less product-related mm -hmm. and more the fact that I think South Africans need to be aware if they do put their money offshore, um, they need to probably, well, most of the time, have an offshore will. Because when you do die one day, the local one, the offshore will, is far better for them to be separated. And it's far easier to sort out your estate. And there's various reasons for it. Citus problems in the UK and the US, probate. Uh, it just makes your life a lot tidier. But one of the things I want to mention today, for people who have got money offshore already, and in South Africa, you leave money to your spouse, that's fine. Your spouse inherits the money. There's no estate duty. You don't have to worry about it. 
But in the case with your offshore assets, if you both die and your children are under the age of 18, I can highly recommend they talk to somebody about setting up what we call a dormant or a freezer trust. Now, that's very important because a testamentary trust that is set up for people under the age of children under the age of 18 cannot inherit offshore assets. So even if you have a local will, the testamentary trust set up for your children, if you both die, they can't inherit offshore assets, which means if you've built a nest egg for your children offshore, that money has to come back. So what you need to do is set up a thing called a freezer trust or dormant trust. And the prices range sort of 500 pounds for five years. And it's well worth just to have that peace of mind, just something to happen to you and your spouse and what happens to your children if you want to keep your offshore assets offshore. So that's just a bit of story today for people listening. Mm. If you have got your money offshore, just be very careful. If you both die, I highly recommend you set up a freezer trust that can take on to those. So that's a dormant trust, but it only comes alive in better commas if something would happen to both of you. And I think that's very good financial planning for people who do have children under the age of 18. Okay. Well, the freezer, I mean, do you, uh, do you set up uh, such uh, the so-called freezer trust uh, for, uh, on behalf of clients or do they have to go elsewhere? Do you do that at Sterling Private Wealth in Cape Town? Yeah, we have people that we can talk to who are affiliated to us who can set up for clients. But I just think it's a very important thing to note because, as you say, we've been sending clients for a long time to have their money offshore. But you do need to have an offshore will and a local will. It's very complex. And people don't always think about that when they think about taking their money offshore. And, you know, what happens if something happens to both of you, both parents? You need to make sure that that you don't want that money coming back to South Africa if you can avoid it. Uh, And trust here, a testamentary trust that is set up when when both parents die, as I said, can't inherit offshore assets. So it's something very important to think about from a financial planning and wealth planning perspective. But, Lindsay, just back to the markets for a second. Yes, go on. people terribly with wealth planning stuff. No. Um, just some interesting things I saw this week. I don't know if you noticed. Um, Microsoft yesterday, for the first time in 10 years, raised its prices. I don't know if you saw that. I thought no, that I didn't was really see that. interesting. What sort of percentage years. are we talking about here? Oh, it's tiny. But, but if you think about all their products, it's going to make them an absolute fortune. So even if it's only a 3% move or 2% move, it doesn't really matter. The fact is they haven't done any increases for 10 years. And, and you know, most of their clients now are online through the cloud or, you know, that you don't go and buy a physical Microsoft product anymore. You just buy it on the cloud. And so can you imagine how much money they're going to make? Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting, commodity markets look like they're trying to come back to life. Yes, they are. I listened to a fascinating presentation today from Chantal Baptiste from uh, Fairtree and arguing quite convincingly that commodities are very much a structural bull market because if you look at the supply constraints from a lot of these commodity majors, they haven't put any money into CapEx for years. Mm. And just from the CapEx alone, the CapEx deficits going forward, I think the price story will remain quite supportive. So again, good news for commodity shares, and you cannot believe the amount of money these companies are producing at the moment. Highly volatile, obviously. But but I think commodities still look very interesting. I don't Sorry? know if they're volatile. I, I, I mean, I know iron ore is volatile. It went up to 225. It's now, as I look <laughs> at my screen now that you've mentioned it, mm-hmm. it's gone from 139 up to 146.5. It's up 5% on the day, uh, $7 uh, per tonne. But uh, if you if you say volatility, it's gone from 112 um, 17 months ago, I think it was, to its current level of just around about 230. I don't know if that's volatility. I think that is 
is a steady, massive bull market. And I firmly believe, and I've always said this, that the people that are saying that it's the end of the cycle, or some people call it a super cycle, I think it's just because it's August in the Northern Hemisphere that, that, that things are going up and down a little bit and things have come down. I think when you get back to the, uh, to the end of the year, uh, the, the, the prices will be much higher. And I heard a conversation with um, uh, CNN's Richard Quest and the CEO of Mesk in uh, Copenhagen, he just said there's so much demand. There is so much demand for Mesk services, which is mainly shipping, but also it's a multi-logistical company. He says it is massive inventory building, huge demand from the United States of America. He says he doesn't see it stopping. So I think commodities, I think commodities are a story for a while, Joanne. No, I agree. But but I'm not even arguing the demand side. I'm just saying even the supply side, mm. you know, it's very constrained. And these companies have been told for so many years that they're poor allocators of capital and therefore haven't gone into new projects. And as the world says, we've become more and more ESG friendly and we talk about climate change and the horrific stories we're reading. There's been huge demand for a lot of these uh, um, commodities as well. So you're going to have a demand that's longer than, say, the the COVID rally demand. I think this demand continues for a while. And if you just look at the fiscal spending projects that are coming out of the States, the massive infrastructure build out, you know, we don't need to just rely on China anymore. So I mean, I'm not going to try and guess commodities in the short term, because to be fair, they really are volatile. These share prices can go up and down 10, 12 percent a day. But but on a long run view, as you point out, Lindsay, if you go from $100 to $200, you know, that's a steady bull market. And I think these things still look very attractive, particularly platinum. Just have a look so at it. You know, Never mind platinum as well. Pla- yeah, the platinum group metal Sorry? story is fantastic for South Africa because we own about 76% of the known uh, PGM reserves underground at the moment. Uh, but just just looking at my, my commodity index now, I mean, you wake up in the morning, you have a cup of coffee. Uh, coffee prices are at 44.52% this year. Uh, you're probably wearing a cotton T-shirt. Uh, your, your nightshirt is made of cotton, presumably. <laughs> I don't think you're a polyester gal. Up twenty-two point, <laughs> up 22.81%. The canola oil price, which is you're going to fry your um, your meat-free burger this evening. Uh, canola oil up 41.91%. Oats, you have your porridge in the morning, 40% higher. Wool up 14%. Sugar up 27%. Tea up 26% this year. Your breakfast is already costing you a fortune, Joanne. So now we've come back full circle to the debate you and I always have over inflation. Uh, here we go. And, and it, it's hard to really believe this is just going to be transitory. Mm. Oh, and forget about just commodity prices because they, they do move around extremes, okay? But just the, you mentioned the Merck and the shipping. You must see the shipping price increases, container price increases. On top of that, we've only had one of the biggest ports in the world reopen recently in China because of COVID. So a lot of these supply deficit problems are going to continue for a while. And, and here's the irony is, right? So we've got Jackson Hole this week talking about the state of the economy and Fed policy. And the markets are getting jittery about the Fed tapering. But how is this for a different way of looking at it? If the Fed is tapering because economic growth is strong, how is that necessarily bad for a lot of companies? Uh, you'll be careful which companies you buy, but some companies are going to do well if the Fed starts tapering because it means the growth is strong. So there's a conundrum for you. I'm not quite sure how the markets react to it. Do they immediately just fall because less liquidity? Yes. Or do they start saying, why is the Fed raising rates in the first place? Or reducing liquidity, sorry, reducing liquidity in the first place. So that's going to be interesting to watch. Very interesting. Uh, so we've got on the wealth management side, just reiterate what you said about the freezer business. 
<laughs> freeze a business. That's a terrible term, isn't it? All, all I'm saying in wealth management, it's not just about looking at the markets and deciding what funds to buy. We also look at financial planning. And I think for a lot of people who would encourage to take their money offshore need to be aware of the fact that if something happens to both of them and they have young children, they need to think about their kids' future. And a freezer trust is a very clever way to go about it. It's very, um, very well priced. It's not live, as I said, in inverted commas, until you die, until you both die. But it's a very nice vehicle to make sure your children's assets can stay offshore. Very good indeed. And uh, we've spoken about uh, all sorts of commodity prices and chickens, by the way, up 35.44% so far this year in US dollar terms. Joanne Bainham is from Sterling Private Wealth in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.